Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us this morning and we're going to study some of your questions on Know Your Bible. That's what we do each week. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain. There will be a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Kind of a unique program in that way. We let you direct the program and uh, decide what we talk about. So if you've got a specific question about the Bible or maybe something in your life or that you see in the news, you wonder what the Bible has to say about it, we'd be glad to try to find you an answer. So get in touch with us and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. Mm -hmm. And we're going to answer as many of our viewers' questions as we can today. But we always start with one for the viewing audience. So here's your uh, Bible question for the day. Who was the businesswoman who sold purple cloth? That was her business, was selling purple. And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know that little bit of Bible information. And Toby, I think you drew the first question today, so get us started. I did. And a viewer asked the question, why did Jesus refer to himself in the third person, Son of God, Son of Man? Well, this is clearly an astute Bible student, uh, at least as for sure an astute Bible reader. As you go through the gospel accounts of Jesus, it's clear that sometimes he will refer to himself as Son of God, sometimes as Son of Man, always in the third person. And I think the uh, easiest answer is that Jesus was trying to uh, explain that he was both fully God and both fully man. And that's the incarnation of, of Jesus as the Son of God, uh, that he became both <clears throat> fully human and yet at the same time was also deity. Now that's a mystery. You can't exactly ask me how that happened and how that all worked. We just know that it was. And uh, as Jesus referred to himself throughout the scriptures, I think that's exactly what he was saying. Now, there are some who believe that Jesus wasn't fully God, uh, that he was just a good man or a great teacher or a, a great moral philosopher. Uh, and we know that's not true if you read scripture. And some people say that Jesus wasn't even a historical fi figure at all. He's just sort of a, a hero of, of the story and it's kind of made up. Um, and they're clearly ignorant of history and uh, all of the evidence that we know that Jesus was, in fact, a real person. And when Jesus was saying he was both God and man, uh, he draws a pretty solid line in the ground because, like C.S. Lewis famously said, Jesus was either Lord, lunatic, or liar. Uh, either he was who he said he was or he was crazy uh, uh, and a charlatan. And uh, so if he wasn't Lord, he certainly wasn't a good man. And he certainly wasn't a good teacher. If he wasn't Lord, he was a swindler and fraudulent. There's really no middle ground. I mean, you either have to decide where, what you believe about Jesus. Jesus was clear on who he said he was. The most important question is what he asked Peter, who do you say I am? 
Let's look at the verse, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, I think is a great answer. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Good question. All righty, very good. Uh, viewer wants to know about the rapture. The question is, do you believe in the rapture? And where in the Bible does it tell us there will be a rapture? Well, this may sound a little odd, but I believe in a rapture, but not the rapture. So we'll, let's see if we can clarify that. Uh, there is a doctrine, premillennialism is a doctrine that teaches that we live before the millennial reign, uh, the thousand year reign of Christ. We are pre that millennial reign. And that doctrine most famously made popular in the Left Behind series, the books and the movies and all that is how most people became familiar with it, uh, has a complicated uh, layout of the end times and they take a lot of prophecies uh, from Daniel and from Revelation and other places and put them together and they teach that there will be a secret rapture, let's call it, uh, and that's what most people talk about when they talk about the rapture. Uh, that's where you get the bumper stickers that say, in the case of a rapture, this driver or this vehicle will be without a driver. Uh, Jesus is going to just take all the faithful off the earth. They're just going to disappear. And that's what most people think of when they talk about the rapture. Uh, I do not believe in that. Uh, we here at Know Your Bible are not premillennialists. We're amillennialists. Uh, we believe we're living during the millennial reign. That God, Jesus is reigning right now at the right hand of God. Uh, the thousand years is a figurative term for a long period, and we're in that reign right now. So I uh, don't believe there's going to be a secret rapture and then a second coming and then a chance for the Jews and all the things that are in the Left Behind books. Uh, we believe that one day Jesus is coming back and everybody, wicked, righteous, living, dead, all are going to be caught up to judgment. And uh, that's a rapture that we believe in because uh, the word rapture just means caught up. And the Bible does use that term, doesn't use the term rapture. Uh, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, uh, we can read that very clearly. Uh, Paul was telling the people that uh, they were worried that some of the people in Thessalonica had died and Jesus hadn't come back yet. And Paul said, don't worry about that. He said, in fact, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the air, uh, meet the Lord in the air. So not a hundred years later, not centuries later, but a few minutes later, uh, first the dead will rise, then we who are still alive, anybody that's still alive when Jesus comes back the second time, everybody together is going to be caught up into the air, meet Jesus, the second come, uh, the final judgment will happen, uh, then we'll go to heaven or to hell. So I believe in a rapture, a catching up, a caught, being caught up, uh, but not the rapture of premillennial doctrine. So hope I made that clear. All right, Toby, your turn. Yes, uh, the next question a viewer submitted uh, is about uh, the version of the Bible. Which version of the Bible is the best and most accurate to study? And this is a question we get quite often on Know Your Bible, and I assume that's because many of our viewers are reading their Bibles and trying to study. And It can be a bit of an overwhelming tax, task to walk into a Christian bookstore or to a library or even type a search on Amazon and 
and type in Bible and there's just so many versions and translations and how do we know which is the best and which is uh, the most accurate. I like how they phrase that. Well, uh, the Bible, of course, is not written in English. It was uh, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and uh, the New Testament was written in the Koine Greek, common Greek. And uh, both of those are uh, languages that need translation. So the most accurate really would be the original language. Uh, but as any student of language knows, as you translate from one language to another, it's not always a perfect match. Um, I have some Bibles in my uh, office where I can pull it down for reference, and they are very accurate. Uh, Greek interlinear New Testament, uh, but it's very hard to read. I could read from that, and it doesn't make a lot of sense as you put it just almost word for word in the, uh, into the English. So you have to step into a translation, and there are lots of different translations, and I think that's what the viewer is asking about. If you uh, look at the spectrum of Bibles, there's kind of uh, two different ends of that spectrum. Uh, one is kind of a thought for thought. We're going to try to give you the gist of what the Bible says, an overview, uh, of the sense of it. Uh, and then the, uh, the other end, we're really going to get, try to get as close to the original word-for-word -word meaning as we can uh, without losing the uh, m making sense in the English language. So your goal here is to get as close as possible to the word-for-word -word translation if you're looking for accuracy. But again, the closer you get to that, the harder it's going to be to understand. So uh, if you're looking for a, a very accurate English translation, I'm going to recommend to you either the New American Standard, uh, the English Standard Version, or the New King James Version. Uh, any of those are uh, pretty readable, uh, and uh, they're very accurate as far as the English translations go. So those are the ones that we use here on the program uh, very often, and uh, we're uh, answering your questions from those translations, and uh, they work very well, and I think they would be a good place to start for a viewer at home who's looking for accurate study. Okay, thank you, Toby. Uh, a lot of people do wonder about what Bible's best, and uh, there's a lot of other folks that don't know how to even get started in yep. Bible study. Yep. Uh, maybe they've decided one day, I'm just going to sit down and read the Bible, and you usually make it to somewhere in Leviticus, and it gets, <laughs> get, gets a little, yep. uh, shall we we'll say, try. boring, uh, because it's just a bunch of laws and regulations and all that. Uh, so some people have trouble getting started in Bible study. Uh, we've got some ways to help with that. Uh, we encourage Bible study. We've got some free materials that we'll be happy to send you through the mail and they're a great way to study the Bible. You see one set of lessons here on the screen at this time. There are eight of them in this uh, series and they're just real basic Bible studies. They're not tied to any church doctrine or anything like that. Just a good way to study the Bible. The first two lessons in this set are the Old Testament and the New Testament and that's real basic. It gets you started understanding the two parts of your Bible. Uh, and then it goes on to another other topics uh, from the Bible. So it's a good overview of the Bible, good way to get started, helps you form a regular habit of Bible study. We think had thousands of people go through this course and on to some more advanced courses that we have. Uh, so happy to provide that for you. Just use the phone number, website, tell us you'd like that free course and we'll get it started for you and you can become uh, a lot more knowledgeable about your Bible with some Know Your Bible study tools. All right, next question is about two, uh, two different things, and are they the same? Is taking the Lord's name in vain and blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is that the same thing? 
Uh, <clears throat> quick answer is no, they're very different things. Taking the Lord's name is in vain is of course one of the famous Ten Commandments. Uh, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. Uh, in vain means worthless or without purpose. So what he's saying there is don't use my name uh, like it's meaningless. Uh, especially in the area of vows and oaths. If you say, I swear that uh, by the Lord I will do this or that, uh, don't, you better follow through on your oath or your vow uh, or you're using His name in a vain way, a meaningless way. Of course also using it in a profane way could qualify as using His name in vain. Uh, today people, that's the standard slogan, uh, people use God's name all the time and don't think a thing about it. Absolutely meaningless. Uh, in fact, we don't just say, oh my God, all the time. We've shortened it now, abbreviated it, so we can say it faster. We can say, OMG, OMG. Uh, and that's definitely using it uh, in vain or in a meaningless way. So that's one thing. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, totally separate thing. Blasphemy is a sin of the tongue. It's saying something. And uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is saying something bad about the Holy Spirit. Uh, specifically that He didn't do what He did. That's what Jesus used the term for. Uh, when Jesus performed miracles, the Pharisees looked and said, well, He did something miraculous, uh, but we can't credit Him. We can't credit <coughs> God or the Holy Spirit. So we'll say Satan did that. So that's what they said was, yes, He did a miraculous thing, but He did it by the power of Satan, not by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's speaking against the Holy Spirit, blaspheming Him. Uh, today the way to do that would be to look at the Bible, which the Holy Spirit wrote, and say, no, that's not God's Word. Man wrote that or Satan had it written, uh, but it's not the Word of God. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So two very different things, both bad things, uh, but two very different things. Okay, got a wedding ceremony question. A viewer asked, <laughs> wants to know, in weddings we have sacred vows. Matthew 5, 33-37 talks about no vows. Simple, just a simple yes or no. Why do we have wedding vows? <clears throat> well, uh, the viewer references a verse, so I want to pull that verse up first. It's Matthew chapter 5, uh, and we're going to look at just verse 37, which they reference 33-37, through 37, but the point is really the one verse. Jesus said, all you need to, sim to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Well, Jesus was addressing a practice at the time when he was talking about vows and not taking oaths uh, that the people of that day had sort of a custom and a culture that you could make an oath or a vow or a contract in business. And it didn't really, even if you gave your word, your oath, it didn't really apply uh, unless you started talking about, I swear by the temple or, you know, anything like that, then it became more serious. So there's kind of this level of how serious was your word and how serious was it not. And Jesus is really just making a simple point here that Christians should be the type of people that when they say yes, you know it'll get done. And when they say no, you know it's not going to happen. Uh, they're people of their word. Now, when you're talking about wedding vows, the viewers asking the question, is it, I mean, why do we even have that? And is it necessary for Christians to make that? And didn't Jesus say not to do that? Well, you know, I don't, <laughs> the wedding ceremony itself has changed. I mean, there's many different types depending on the culture and the tradition and what age of time that you lived in. And I don't at all think Jesus is saying 
don't have a wedding vow, that's, you know, that's certainly a fine thing to do. I think what he is saying that would certainly apply to the wedding vows, whether you use traditional, whether you write your own, whether you use a more contemporary version, uh, the purpose of the wedding ceremony is to say, are you going to stick with your husband and are you going to stick with your wife through the good and the bad, through the thick and the thin, no matter what? And, you know, you ought to be able to answer that with yes or I do or I will. And you ought to take that seriously. Uh, in the modern day, lots of people spend tons of time and money planning out the perfect wedding ceremony. And they'll give a lot to uh, being dedicated to the marriage. And those vows are going to be tested. And your yes or your no is ultimately uh, what's going to matter. And so uh, Jesus is not here saying saying that we can't have wedding vows. He's simply saying, when you make a promise or a pledge or an oath, you keep it and you do what's right. And so I think that's certainly good uh, advice for a marriage. And uh, sadly, every time there's a divorce, that's a, a breaking of the vow. I mean, regardless of the circumstances, that's a breaking of the vow and uh, breaking of the oath. And so Jesus is simply saying, keep your word, keep your oath, keep your promise, keep your pledge. Now, it's a good question. I was thinking while you was answering that, how much trouble we, we could just have a yes or no yep, wedding ceremony. But how much trouble I'd get in if I did. <laughs> See, everybody's dressed up in their best. Yeah, and yeah. the bride spent thousands yep, of dollars on yep. this dress and the groomsmen got all their stuff. Everybody's there to be seen. Sure. And you just say, yes, yes okay, no. yes, okay, we're done. <laughs> no, they they got to be up there a while, you know. <laughs> take a little time. Nothing wrong with that. Just take it seriously. <laughs> All right, my question about ghosts. If there are no such things as ghosts, where did the term Holy Ghost come from? Well, I think we've had questions about ghosts on here, and you yourself know when you hear that question, are there such a thing as ghosts? What do you think of? You think of dead spirits. Uh, you think of human spirits that are dead that come back to the earth and haunt houses and kind of spooky and all that. That's what ghost means to us today, what we think of. Well, uh, when the King James Version was written and he was called the Holy Ghost, ghost just meant spirit. Nobody had any other connotations to it. Uh, the Greek word is pneuma, uh, which was translated spirit. Uh, you know the term pneumonia and pneumatics. Uh, has to do with air and wind, and that's what the spirit is called, just uh, like a wind. Uh, you can't see him, but you can feel his effects. So that's the term for spirit. Uh, but when somebody said ghost, it just meant spirit back in those days. But today there's been some time passed, and we've given kind of a negative connotation to the word ghost. We think of dead spirits, we think of haunted houses, we think of something malevolent that's causing troubles and uh, possessing things and all that. So most modern translations just stopped using that term uh, and just call him the Holy Spirit. Uh, but in 1611 when we, King James was written, uh, ghost just meant spirit. Uh, so a Holy Spirit, yes, but the negative uh, connotations to it is why we've changed that. Uh, there is a Holy Ghost or a Holy Spirit, but uh, when we say we don't believe that dead spirits come back and uh, inhabit this world and bother us, uh, we don't think that's the way the realm of the dead operates. So we probably did say there's no ghosts. All right, we always like to take a little time and invite folks to visit a Church of Christ near them. We like to talk about folks that uh, help support us and keep us on the air. 
uh, today, the Moline Church of Christ up in Moline, Illinois, is one we'd like to mention up in the Quad Cities. A uh, great group of folks there in Moline. They meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings for Bible class and 10.30 uh, to worship together. I know you'd enjoy meeting. I know you'd be warmly welcomed if you dropped in at the Moline Church of Christ. Uh, you'd find a group of people that think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible and help keep us on the air. So we like to thank them and invite you to drop in sometime. Uh, we'll tell you more about the Moline Church in weeks to come, but uh, if you're searching for a church home and you live in that area, it'd uh, be a good place to drop in and tell them that you watch Know Your Bible. Of course, wherever you live in your area, there's probably a Church of Christ near you that helps keep the program on the air for you. If you know somebody that attends the Church of Christ in your area, you might tell them you watch the program and you appreciate uh, them supplying it for you. All right, got a question yep. about sin A sin here. question, a very precise question. Hmm. A person wants to know, what is the definition of sin? Well, that's a good question. The original uh, word in the Greek is amartia, and the definition simply means a very simple definition of missing the mark. Uh, I remember uh, a couple of times I was privileged to do some uh, shooting, uh, some rifle shooting, and the, the target was set several hundred yards out. It was very high distance, high accuracy uh, rifle shooting. And the guy who was showing us how to do it was a, a very gracious host. And he uh, allowed us to, to shoot these weapons that had been just refined down to the smallest level of tolerance. And everything was perfectly machined and the bullets were uh, perfectly made so that as the person fired the bullet, uh, the goal was to get the bullet uh, to hit the target and then to be able to shoot another bullet and get it in exactly the same, exactly the same hole as the first bullet. And that's very difficult. And at several hundred yards, you have lots of factors such as wind and, and uh, you got to really pay attention to making sure everything's exactly the same. And uh, that's you know the 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 tolerance on for people who shoot at that level is uh you know tenths uh, hundredths of an inch i mean it's a very small tolerance well i think about that when we talk about amartia it is this perfect uh standard that god has and anything any small variation off that is sin you know any doing anything that god has said not to do or not doing anything that god has said to do is sin and so when you think of that, you understand that's a pretty high standard. And when you read through the, the old law, uh, you get a sense of God's perfect standard of righteousness. And anything above or uh, below that, anything outside of that is a sin. It's missing the mark. Well, um, the bad news, we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark, if we're honest anyway. Uh, people who think they're good, people who've resigned and say there's no way I could ever be good, uh, people just say, "Man, I'm just I'm just lost." Okay, so uh, we've all sinned. Romans chapter three verse twenty three says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have missed the mark. And verse twenty four, this is what gives us hope: are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's a beautiful sentence. We all know Romans, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know it whether we know the verse or not. We know we all miss the mark. 
but the point is not how much we miss the mark by the point is that we can all be redeemed uh, through the grace that comes through jesus christ so that's the definition of sin and the cure for it okay uh, i always think when i i know that's the legal definition of sin but some people focus in on like your illustration yeah. you mean if i miss the mark by a millimeter yeah you know god's gonna hold me guilty and all that uh, in, in general what we as humans do is not missed by a millimeter we decide <laughs> i don't want to even shoot at that target right, right. We, we shoot at a completely different sure, target sure. this is god's plan this is what he wants and we say no i'm not going to try that i'm yeah. going to do it my way yeah. uh, so it's usually not a millimeter it's more a mile, <laughs> mile. you know uh, so the the legal term kind of gives us that funny idea yeah. that God's watching millimeters yeah. and uh, he just wants us to follow his plan and do the sure. best we can and sometimes we just reject it completely and that's sin. So. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, another question about angels here. What are the nine orders of angels? Well, this is one of those questions that we cannot, cannot answer from the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about nine orders of angels. In fact, the Bible says very little about angels. It mentions them some, and it mentions a few different kinds, uh, cherubim and seraphim and things like that, but it uh, doesn't really tell us much about it. Now, some people have made up a list of a hierarchy, and organization chart for angels. Uh, this is from Catholic doctrine. Uh, there are nine orders of angels, and seraphim is the highest, and then cherubim, and then thrones, and dominions, and virtues, and powers, and archangels, and principalities, and angels. Uh, I'm not sure even some of those terms even reply to re refer to angels, but uh, anyhow, the point is some people have made up some orders of angels. Uh, I admit it's kind of interesting to think about. Uh, some of you have read Frank Peretti's books about the spiritual warfare and he talks a lot about the orders of angels and the hierarchy and this angels over this angel and all that. It's kind of interesting to think about uh, but the Bible doesn't explain it that way. It just talks about angels in general usually so I can't give you the nine orders of angels except what some men have come up with. Uh, I don't think it matters a whole lot. Uh, we don't have much to do with angels. Uh, we will someday perhaps, and <laughs> we may figure out the organization chart, but uh, I don't think it's very helpful on earth today. So can't answer that one from the Bible. The original uh, word for angel is angelos, and it just simply means a servant. Mm -hmm. And so it's that <laughs> idea, what, I'm sure whatever order or whatever you write, the Bible doesn't say, but the goal is they just do God's bidding and yep. do what He needs them to be, what He needs them to do. We'll so. figure it out someday. Sure. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. The question was to uh, name the businesswoman who sold purple cloth. <laughs> and you can find that story over in the book of Acts, and her name was Lydia. Lydia was probably a widow, we don't know, but she had a business of selling purple, which was a very expensive uh, dye back in those days, so she sold to the rich people probably, and she ran into the Apostle Paul and uh, was converted to Christianity. So great story there about Lydia you can read. We're about out of time today. We don't have time for any more questions, but we got just a little bit of time left. Let me encourage you to sign up today for that Bible Correspondence course if you haven't done that yet run into people all the time that say, I'm going to sign up for that someday. Uh, I'd like to study that. Well, today would be a good day to do that. Uh, just pick the phone up or get on the website and tell us you'd like that course, and we can have you studying it this week and 
Uh, we can keep you busy for a lot of weeks in the future studying with Know Your Bible study tools. So give us a call and let us get that uh, started for you. And as always, if you've got a question, anything about the Bible, uh, you can use those numbers anytime to get in touch with us and we'll try to answer it on Know Your Bible. Glad you've been with us this week. We'll invite you back next week. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.